0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. We're glad that you're here. Also, if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're here, too. So uh, this week, I was just reminded of a very obvious point, but it, you know, I thought I'd bring it up, that a house is changed by new residents, I was reminded of this because I uh, am friends on Facebook with our old neighbors from uh, Amelia, Ohio, on the east side of Cincinnati, where we used to live. They took a picture of their son, and he's gotten way tall and all of that. And then in the background of that picture was our old house uh, that, that Sarah and I lived in with our with our girls and our boys. And that was the house that we you know brought the boys home. There was a lot of memories that happened inside of that house and it made me reminisce about our time there and just you know I thought about like well what would it be like to go back there now well it would be very different if I were to just show up and you know, if I were to walk in, I would be called like a burglar, you know. Um, But, it, you know, if you were to go back into a house that you used to live in, it would be different because you don't live there anymore. It would be different furniture. It would be different stuff on the wall. It might be different paint. It might be different flooring. They might have done some improvements and, and made it completely different. But that's just like that's just the case. Like a, a house is changed by new residents. Same house, but different people who live there. It means the house is just it's a little different. And that same kind of thing is true about your life and my life if you're a follower of Christ. That when the Holy Spirit, when you surrendered to Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwelled you, came into your life, that you are the same person you were before, but you're different. You're just very different now. That you are you have the same name, you have the same background, same history, same same kind of things that are that are true about you, but now there's something different about you as we follow Jesus and surrender to Jesus, the Holy Spirit does a work in us. The Holy Spirit. Uh, We're starting a new series today called The Holy Spirit. It's a super creative title, uh, but we thought this was really important because there's a lot of confusion inside of the church about who the Holy Spirit is. In fact, there was a study done in 2021 by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. They found some really interesting, unfortunate statistics from their study of these people. So they they found that uh, they had like three different classifications of Christians in this study. The The first one and most uh, prominent one was the self-identified Christians. They were the people who would put Christian on the survey and uh, that didn't require them to have any other kind of like qualifying beliefs or anything like that. If there was a survey, they would mark Christian. Uh, of them, 58 percent, Contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. So the Holy Spirit is not real. It's more like the force, you know, the force be with you, you know, that kind of a thing uh, that, that, that you just kind of, it's like a symbolic thing. Uh, then they had this, uh, other classification, the born-again Christians. Those who identified as born-again Christians, these would be people who are like, yeah, I, my salvation's dependent, uh, not upon what I do, but what Christ does, so they have a little bit more theological depth about them. Um, they hold to that same view, 62%, and half of them also deny that the Holy Spirit is a being. Then they, they had this other classification. This is the smallest one, but these are people who have a lot of identity markers that would be shared with a biblical Christian, people who have not only professed Jesus, but they have a lot of beliefs that are aligned with scripture, and of them even, 40% hold to an unbiblical view of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that a problem? Well, the Holy Spirit is vital to you living a full uh, full life in Christ. If you are not uh, engaging with the Holy Spirit, then you're missing out on a huge part of the Christian faith, and it's, it's just like not good. So we want to show you in this series, like I have just a few goals that I want to kind of put before you as we walk through this three-week series. Just three weeks, we're going to cover three questions but here's the goal: I want to equip you to understand the Bible's teaching about the Holy Spirit and more joyfully engage with the Holy Spirit's presence and work in your life. That's the goal over the next three weeks. Um, and and just so you know, just a forewarning: this message today is going to not be like normal messages. It's going to be a very teaching-oriented message. So um, there's not going to be as many stories and as many moments of Brandon getting a little bit, you know, loud and. Sometimes you would probably say obnoxious, but but we're going we're to kind of dial in. And, and if you take notes, this is going to be your moment because we're going to walk through a lot of different scriptures, a lot of things to write down, a lot of different points. So uh, put your thinking caps on, everybody. Kind of do it with me. Thank you. Some of you are ready. Some of you are not. That's fine. All right. We're going to engage the whole body in this experience. Okay. So what I want to start out with is, okay, when we talk about who is the Holy Spirit, because that's the subject of today, who is he, what does he do, and what's that all about, Uh, what I want to start with is... Giving you a survey, some of you, um, you know, you took survey classes, basically the overview. We're going to do a survey of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit's work inside of them. So a 50,000 foot view. We're going to look at it from above and look at it from Genesis to Revelation very quickly. I'm going to pull out a, a, key, a few key points and, and just walk with me here, okay? So when you start out in scripture, where do you first see the Holy Spirit? In Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. You get to the second verse in scripture and you see his involvement. This is what it says. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So in creation, God uh, decides to speak into existence all that came to be. And he is bringing out, um, out of the, the chaos, he is bringing order. And so as he speaks, things come to be and the Holy Spirit is intricately involved in that process that we see. And so, uh, we, we go on, and then, as we, many of you know, Genesis chapter three comes, Adam and Eve sin against God, and that brings in disorder into the cosmos, because sin fractures, uh, human, humans' relationship with God, and fractures our ability to live in light of what He wants for us, and what He wants for us is what's best for us. And so, we see chaos in, on into the, story of existence. And then the, the spirit of God later in Genesis comes upon a man named Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. It was a very functional family, you know? Um, you know. <laughs> and so Joseph is, is imprisoned at this point, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and gives him supernatural ability to interpret dreams. So if you've ever had a moment where like a friend shares with you their dream... You know, for those of us who actually remember our dreams, uh, it's very rare that I remember mine. Some of them are so wild that I'm like, I need to write this down. This would be a good book, right? Um, But anyway, so you have a friend share with you their dream or a spouse or whatever, and they're telling you about it. And you're like, I know exactly what that means. Because God is saying, you know, like if that was, that's what Joseph had. The Holy Spirit came upon him and he was able to interpret dreams and ended up interpreting Pharaoh's dream and got out of prison and was able to uh, become very prominent in the Egyptian world. Um, But so that's that's another instance of the Holy Spirit being involved in Scripture. Another one, uh, we could go on and on about this, but this is just survey. So we're going to just keep going moving. The Spirit spoke through King David. Later in the scripture. Second Samuel chapter twenty-three verse three says the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me, his word was on my tongue. So the Holy Spirit came upon King David and was speaking through him, which is why we have the Psalms, many of the Psalms written by King David, and that was God speaking through. David, Uh, all of the Old Testament prophets, they had the Holy Spirit come upon them and speak supernaturally. So people like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, and Malachi, all these people had the Holy Spirit come upon them and they were able to speak from God's perspective. God spoke through them to the people and they were able to speak to the moment of their day and time in a historical sense, knowing what was to come and calling them back to repentance, back to God. So the Holy Spirit is involved in all of the Old Testament. And then when we get to the New Testament, we see him show up onto the scene in the Gospels. Uh, we looked at this in Matthew early on in our journey through that. Um, and we saw that Jesus, when he went to get baptized by John the Baptist, we see this beautiful triune passage of scripture where, where he is baptized. He comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit Descends upon him like a dove and uh, onto the God, the son, and then God, the father declares, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We saw the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus, leads him into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan and resists that temptation um, and, and continues on in his ministry. Then when it comes to Jesus's death and resurrection, we learn that the Holy Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you then he who raised Christ from the dead and will will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So that's Paul's point isn't the fact that Jesus Was raised by the Spirit. I mean, that's part of his point, but he's using that as a point to point to the fact that you are indwelled by the Spirit of God now, and he's going to bring you to life just like he brought Jesus to life. The Holy Spirit is very intricately involved, not only in the messages of Scripture, but in our lives here and now. Jesus tells us in John 14, 15, and 16 that the Holy Spirit's coming, and he's the spirit of truth. He's also the comforter and the helper. These are titles for him. He's the counselor. And then when Jesus resurrects from the grave, he ascends, or he, he spends time with people, appears to over 500 people over the course of 40 days. And then before he ascends to the throne room in heaven, Jesus tells his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then we see the Holy Spirit come upon them. Peter preaches a sermon. Uh, Thousands of people come to Christ. They are baptized and then they themselves receive the Holy Spirit as well. And so God is just penetrating people's lives with the Holy Spirit and changing them from the inside out. Uh, the, it's said in scripture that the spirit indwells us and then cries out, Abba, Father, because when we surrender to Jesus, we are adopted into God's family and the Holy Spirit uh, just affirms that inside of us, compels us to pray to God, the Father, and call him our Father. And then what we see as as the scriptures kind of wrap up in the book of Revelation and John is communicating this vision that God has given to him about what the end of the world will be like Uh, we see that what began with creation and the spirit hovering over the ocean's depths we see in the end, he will usher in a new creation, a new earth, a new Jerusalem and bringing about complete order in the cosmos. Because anyone who was on Satan's side and wasn't for Jesus will be dealt with and will face judgment. And now we will be able to live in a place where there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more relationship strife. Because everything will be completely under King Jesus and we will get to experience eternity in his presence on the new heavens and the new earth. And it will be a beautiful thing. And so from the beginning to the end, the Holy Spirit is bringing about order where there is disorder. So that's not only what he's doing in the cosmos, but let's be honest, is what he's doing in our lives too. Because before Jesus... Our lives were chaotic. Our soul was chaotic. Our soul was tired. But with Jesus, we have the opportunity to surrender to him. And he will bring about order inside of us as well. In fact, in the last chapter of the scriptures, in Revelation chapter 22, in one of the last verses, verse 17, we see the Holy Spirit showing up, verse two in scripture, and toward the end, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 says this, both the Spirit... And the bride, the bride is the church, both the spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life freely. The message for followers of Jesus from Jesus is come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest rest. And that will be our eternal rest. And the Holy Spirit is inviting us, beckoning us to come to Jesus. And so that is the overall kind of survey of the scriptures. And it kind of brings up me to ask this question, uh, because I think it's really important. What is, what does this say about the direction of the world? Because I think the Holy Spirit's involvement from, from Genesis to revelation, from your new birth in Christ, all the way to the, to the moment where you uh, are, are encountering Jesus in face-to-face, it says that it kind of speaks against our incessant pessimism about the world. Because some of us, like, right, we, we've kind of gotten frustrated with the way the world is. And, and that's right. That's good and right to be frustrated with things that are unjust, that things that are not right. But, but we always got to remember that God is always... Working. He's always there. And the Holy Spirit's involvement in our lives and in this world tells us that God is still moving. God is still in this. He hasn't left you. And so if you've ever felt like, you know what, um, this Christian life, it just doesn't feel like, like, it just feels like there's something missing. It could be that you're missing out on the involvement of the Holy Spirit in your life because maybe you've not opened yourself up to his influence. Because here's the thing. You and I can say no to God. Anybody else ever said no to God? I have. Yeah. I super excited about that, but I have. And so you can snuff out the work of the spirit in your life. But let, this brings up a really important doctrinal theological point. Um, again, we're teaching in this. So these are really important things to know. Um, it brings up the necessity for us to talk about the nature of God, which is a very big topic. And, and specifically the Trinity, Uh, The Trinity is a doctrinal word. You won't find Trinity, that word in the Bible, but you do see the evidence of it. Um, So who is God? Who is God? Understand, um, if you believe that you worship a God in whom you completely understand, you've misunderstood God. Okay. Um, So when when I'm going to kind of break this down, the Trinity, um, it will make our head hurt if you try to engage with what I'm going to say. If you come to me and say, Brandon, all right, man, listen, the sermon, that was annoying, okay? Because I didn't get it. I need you to explain it. Tell me like I'm five, you know, like, like explain it to me. Help me understand. Give me an analogy. Um, I won't be able to give you one that will suffice for you to be able to completely understand the Trinity or to completely understand God. I just, I just can't. Because he is infinite, we are not. He is eternal, we are not. He is mighty and all-powerful and all-present, we are not he is omniscient his brain is he, like he knows stuff all that there is to know we we just are literally physically spiritually unable to know him in his fullness but he has revealed himself and so we can know him we just can't know every little like detail about him does that make sense Are you guys tracking with me okay all right well if, if you are still then good We'll see how you do here in a minute, because this is hard. Okay, so the Trinity can be summed up in this statement, all right? God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Keep that up there. Let's Let's just sit in this. God eternally exists as three persons, father, son, Holy spirit. Each person is fully God. And there is one God, right? Yeah. It's hard. Okay. But again, I can't explain it fully. I'm not going to use some cheesy illustration because it just, it's not worthy, right? And I'm going to say, Oh, look, here's an egg. You know, the egg is a shell. The egg is the egg white and the egg yolk, you know, like, I'm just not going to do that because it doesn't suffice to be able to explain it. But Scripture does explain it this way Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it progressively, as the Scriptures go on, progressively reveals the nature of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, this is so interesting. Then God said, let, what's that word, church? Then God said, let us. Make man in our image. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. That's interesting. That's interesting. Then God said, God said, let us, who's he talking about him and the angels, him, like him and his friends. Like who's he talking about? And then Genesis chapter three uh, goes on when, so Adam and Eve sin. And they they eat a bite from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God says, they have become one of us. Man has become like one of us, right? Like, just, what? Because he talking about like him and the angels, him and like, what is he talking about? Well, he doesn't really explain it at all. You just kind of, you just keep on moving in the, in the stories of scripture. So then let's keep on moving. Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, the prophet is recounting when God called him to serve him as a prophet. And this is what it says. Then I heard the voice as Isaiah speaking. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, here I am. Send me. By the way, if God ever calls you, He's like, hey, I need somebody to do something. If, if God brings to notice you, you notice some kind of need that needs to be met. Guess who's He saying? Who He's saying is equipped and able to meet that need? You. You. So, so the right response to God always when He's calling you to do something, here I am, send me. Not because I got it figured out, because I know you do. Not because I got it all, like, you know, I got all the skills and the, and the, and the know-how, but I know you do. So, so Isaiah rightly says, here I am, send me. But like, it's really interesting, right? God says, who will I send? Who will go for us? <laughs> Again, there's an indication of some kind of first-person plural dynamic within the nature of God. Alright. Psalm 45, verses 6 through 7. You guys track them? Okay, all right. The psalmist declares something very curious. Your throne, God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Okay, we're tracking. Therefore, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy more than your companions. Huh? Therefore, God, your God, what does that mean? What is what is going on here? Luckily for us in the book of Hebrews, I didn't put it up here, but you can go look in the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer interprets this and says when when the psalmist says therefore God your God, he's referring to therefore God your God as in God the Son. Therefore God the Father, your God, God the Son, or therefore God the Son, your God, God the Father, like that's what he's speaking to. He's speaking of a Trinitarian triune message about who God is. Uh, Matthew chapter three, verses 16 through 17 is what I referred to earlier alluded to. Uh, This is when Jesus was baptized says this, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, the heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God descending upon him. Like a dove and coming down on him and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God, the son. So God, the son is baptized. God, the Holy spirit descends upon him and God, the father declares that he is well pleased with his son. That's magnificently beautiful. So the triune God, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, all involved in the redemption story of you and all of humanity. First Peter chapter 1 verse 2, he's greeting the churches he's speaking to and he throws in this uh very insightful verse or yeah, verse. It says this, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, My, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So you see, the Father, His foreknowledge, so He knows what's gonna happen or what could happen, knows all of the variables that could happen, He knows all of them according to His foreknowledge through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So, what does sanctifying work mean? Sanctification is that journey that we go to where we were one way before Jesus and then God changes us and the Holy Spirit continues to grow us and grow us and change us into the image of Jesus to the point where until we die he's going to con- continue working in our lives to bring about the image of Jesus in our lives so that we can become more like him that's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit sprinkled in by the blood of Jesus Christ which he shed his life for us so that we could experience abundant life So the Trinity can be summed up in three statements. I gave you one earlier. Note takers, you'll love this because I'm going to give you three points on this. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. As you look at the scriptures and you look at the whole of it, when it speaks about who God is, this is what it teaches. God is three persons, each person is fully God, and there is one God. Anybody else's brain hurt? Yeah. So, okay, the question that still begs the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is he like? Well, the Holy Spirit, number one, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. We've, we've covered this. The Holy Spirit also is a person. Let me, let me park here for a minute. Um, John 15, verse 26 26 says when the counselor comes the one I will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will testify about me this brings up a really important doctrinal uh, kind of distinction so it says that he's going to proceed from the father in John chapter 15 verse 26 he proceeds from the father so the Holy Spirit is not the father the Holy Spirit is not the son but the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. There there are three persons, one God. Also, he's a person. So what does that mean? Well, a person thinks, a person feels, and a person chooses. So the Holy Spirit, he's a person. He's not a force. May the force be with you. No, like, it's not how it works, right? You don't just use the force. You don't just use, use the Holy Spirit in your life. No, Holy Spirit has his own volition. So the, the Spirit can be grieved. The Spirit can be insulted. And the Spirit can help and intercede on our behalf. He, he actually prays for us to the Father on our behalf. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, so the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. And number three, the Holy Spirit indwells the Christian. The Holy Spirit indwells the Christian. If you have some time this week, um, which you do have enough time for this at least, Colossians chapter 1, read the second half of that chapter. It is one of the most beautiful, amazing, powerful passages of scripture. It's one of my favorites. It talks about how uh Christ was was preeminent. He is before all things. He is everything is created by him and for him and to him. And and he is preeminent in all of creation. He is powerful and mighty. He he is no one is above him. And then it's, it it kind of ends with this turn that the mystery has been revealed Christ in you the hope of glory the same Christ who is amazing and before all things and created all things and is all powerful and is all knowing. He decided to dwell, to take up residence in you. The the Holy spirit indwells the Christian. He does that through the Holy spirit. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16 says this. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you. It was before the Israelites, they when they were in the wilderness, wandering, God had them build a tabernacle, and inside of that tabernacle was a place on the inner, in, the inner inner part, which was called the holy of holies. This is where God's presence resided, and led them by day and by night uh, through a pillar of fire and through a cloud, led them throughout the wilderness. And then they got to the promised land. They built a temple, and inside of that temple was the holy of holies, and that was where God's presence resided. But when Jesus went to the cross and said, it is finished, and he breathed his last breath, the veil that covered the Holy of Holies and kind of kept it in, the, in its own uh, room, it was torn. The veil was torn from top to bottom. Ain't nobody else do that but God. He tore it from top to to bottom, unleashing the presence of God, unleashing the Holy Spirit onto the world. And then we see in Pentecost that that Peter preached a a sermon and the Holy Spirit came upon him and then they baptized thousands of people and the Holy Spirit started to indwell followers of Jesus. So now the temple is no longer in Jerusalem, even if they try to make a new building. The the temple is you, that God is. Has decided to take up residence in you. That way, so the temple is wherever you go because the Holy Spirit is in you and with you and for you, and so you get to worship God wherever you are. So uh, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit indwells the Christian. What is our response to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. So we yield our, we yield to and surrender to Him. Like we surrender to Him Uh, when, when He nudges us because He will speak. Yeah, we, we we need to listen to him and and follow him. So the Holy Spirit is God. We yield to and surrender to him. The Holy Spirit is a person, number two, um, and we relate to him. So just like you relate to a friend or family member or a, an acquaintance, like you, you talk to each other, you get to know each other, you ask him questions, you listen to him, that you talk to him. That is how we relate to the Holy Spirit. He's a person. You talk to him. You relate to him. You spend time with him. You, you attend to what he's saying, and here's the thing. Uh, while you can talk, and, and sometimes you get mad at God, and you, and you get real honest with Him, and that's fine. Um, when you when you are listening for the Holy Spirit, he, he will speak to you. But a lot of times, He speaks in a whisper, and you got to you got to quiet your mind, quiet your soul to hear Him speak, and to, to be to be sensitive to His nudges. Have you ever had a feeling, just a gut in your gut, that you were supposed to do something? That was, that was the Holy Spirit working in you. To do something good and right and holy. That was the Holy Spirit working in you. Um, you know, a lot of times, I, I'm just like you. Like, I would be like, okay, when I'm praying for something, God, can you give me a made-for-dummies kind of miracle right in front of me? Can you just, boom, right in my face? Like, all up in here. Can you make it plain? put flashing lights on it, make sure it's clear. I want the directions. I want the step-by-step process because I don't want to mess it up. I just want to do it. I just want to do what you want, how you want me to do it. Can you just make it that clear? And a lot of times, I mean, sometimes he does, but a lot of times he wants you to listen. Like stop, collaborate, and Yeah. The Holy Spirit might bring a brand new invention, you know, grab a hold of him tightly. Oh, I could keep going. I'm going to stop. All right. Some of you are like, what's he doing? What is that? Others of you, Older people, we just got to tell the young folks what I just did. Okay. All right. One of the things that that Luke chapter 3 says, um, John the Baptist was telling the the crowd about Jesus and said, hey, I'm going to be baptizing you with water for repentance, but the one coming after me, Jesus, is going to baptize you uh, in the spirit and in fire. He's going to baptize you with the spirit and fire. So I was thinking about this, You know, this is what I tend to always pray when I come up here before I start talking is, Lord, give me joy, passion and a fire burning inside, because what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is he he kindles a fire when he indwells us. And we we have the ability to listen to him and, and have that fire grow or we have the opportunity to dismiss him and that fire Will go down. I was thinking about this because this past week, uh, you know, we've got this guys' night coming up, and Mike uh, and I were talking about how bad the the campfire site is out there by the youth center. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's it's bad, bad, like double bad, bad. It's it's just super bad, you know. And it's and so we're like, we got to deal with that before we try to get the guys around and have a fire, because we're gonna have a fire for guys' night, because we're men, you know. Fire, you know, and that's what we're gonna do. Um, And so uh, I think it was like Thursday. Mike was out there early. And he was working on, you know, mowing it and weed whacking it. And then he shows up in my office after he's done all that sweaty. And I'm like, what's, what's going on with you, dude? He's like, you want to come look at the campfire or the, you know, the fire, fire pit or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I was thinking about that later. I'm like, he didn't even invite me to any of the work. What does that say about me? You know, he didn't believe I could work hard. Is that what it is, Mike? Um, you know, Okay. Anyway, he did a great job, and so the, one of the things that he had talked about was like we, we need to do a test fire because you know there's a bunch of you know weeds in there and all that. We need to like burn that stuff, and why not have an excuse to make a fire? Amen. Amen. Okay. So he, he, he put up, put the fire together and I was helping him, you know, I tried to do what I could do to help and, and we were trying to get the fire strong enough so that all of the weeds that he weed whacked, um, without my help, uh, could be burned, you know, and so that we didn't have to like bag it up or whatever, um, took a lot longer, but it, it, you know, we were trying to get the fire strong. And so as we were like putting on kindling, you know, paper and all this stuff, little sticks and all that. And we got the, the logs trying to get them fired up and trying to build that fire strength so that it could burn some stuff. Um, I, was, I was standing there and, and watching him work. Uh, and, and, and I looked around and I noticed he brought his leaf blower. And I was like, hmm, got an idea. Because what does a fire need? Oxygen. <laughs> y'all, so when you go camping next, or you got a fire, bring the leaf blower. I mean, exercise caution. But um, so I was like, I, I went and got the the leaf blower, and I was like, I wonder if this will work. And y'all, I was blowing on the on the fire, and it strengthened it. It was amazing, and 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 man, and it stayed inside the fire ring. You know, I did not start a wildfire in Bluffton. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, But that just brings up something. And I'm like, okay, how are you going to tie that in, Brandon? Okay. The Holy Spirit is the leaf blower for the fire in your soul. Right? (laughs) Some of you are like, is he really serious? Am I? uh, (laughs) But kind of, right? He's the the air. Like he he moves. The the, the Hebrew word for, for spirit is ruach. And, and it's, it's this, you know, and it's, it, one translation is breath. So it's, it's God's energy, God's breath, God's spirit moving inside of us, and He kindles that, that fire, and as you let Him move inside of you, He Changes you and brings that fire about even stronger and stronger in your life. So you are never in a spot where you just get to be apathetic or just, uh, you know, just kind of like normal, like just everyday life. You have God living inside of you and moving inside of you. And it is a beautiful, wonderfully powerful thing. A.W. Tozer, uh, awesome theologian. He has uh, passed many decades ago, but he said this we have become a culture of Christians trying to do God's work apart from the endowment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What does that mean, endowment? It means that it's like being clothed by or equipped by the Holy Spirit. So we've been trying to do the Christian thing apart from the Holy Spirit's power in our life and the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. And let me just say, that is, that is not going to work very well. And, and so some of us, like we've, we've kind of wondered, is this all that there is to the Christian life? And maybe the reason why you're asking that question because you know deep down in your bones that something is missing and what might be missing is you opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit's movement in your life. Here's here's, uh, just a passage that kind of speaks to the, the battle that rages inside of us between our flesh and the Spirit and what the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of you. Galatians 5 verse 16 and going on says, I say then walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Uh, Anybody ever experienced that? The internal battle inside of you to do right, even though a part of you like wants to do wrong. But the Holy Spirit's there. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now watch what he points us to, not a list of do better, try harder, but the invitation is to walk by the spirit of God. So you walk with him and and as he lives inside of you and you open yourself up to his influence, he brings about fruit in your life. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things, Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Here's what I want to leave you with today. Uh, Here's the summary statement. The Holy Spirit is God, third person of the Trinity, and he indwells you for God's glory, your good, and people's good. The Holy Spirit is God third person of the Trinity and he indwells you for God's glory, your good and people's good. See, he wants to bring about the image of Jesus in your life. He wants to move mightily in you and through you. That is what he wants to do. It is for God's glory. It is for your good. And it is for others good as well, that you are indwelled by the spirit of God so that you can make a difference in your life in the places and spaces you find yourself in. Because where you go, the temple of God goes. Where you go, the presence of God goes. Not because it's you, but because he's in you. He is with you and he wants to do something through you. So you and I are on a never-ending road trip where we've got somebody with us and hopefully we're smart enough to let him drive. Let the Holy Spirit take the wheel. You know, like like when you're, metaphorically driving, okay? You got to still drive when you're in the car. But you let him lead you. And I'm sorry, I won't, I won't sing again, all right? Life with the Holy Spirit, what does it look like to move forward from this? Let me just remind you of a couple things. A, a, a house is changed by its residence. So when the Holy Spirit moves into your life, he's going to change who you are on the inside and how you operate and how you think and how you, uh, how you move throughout the world. He's going to change you. And our response to the Holy Spirit must be, the Holy Spirit is God, so we yield to and surrender to him. The Holy Spirit is a person, so we relate to him. And the Holy Spirit indwells the Christian, so we experience him. Let me just show you this, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this. The, uh, Barna did a study. They asked people who had no faith, who would be the kinds of Christians... Um, in, in their life who, like, if they were these kinds of Christians, they would be more open to learn from. And I I just find this to be so interesting. 39% of people who have no faith said they would, they would listen and learn from a Christian who does, who listens without judgment who listens and just hears what they're having to say, understanding that they are no different than them, except for the fact that they have surrendered to Jesus for forgiveness. 33% said, uh, I I would listen to a Christian who is honest about their doubts. They're honest. They're truth-telling. A Christian who does not force a conclusion. They understand that God has to work in that person, not just me uh, giving them a good argument or forcing them to to care. Uh thirty percent cares about them as a person. Shouldn't that be who we are as followers of Jesus? People who care, people who love, people who are for others. Um people they they said 29% said allow others to draw their own conclusions. Again, being a truth teller and letting them understand that it is up to God to move in their life. Twenty-six uh, percent is interested in me, even if I'm not a Christian, should we care about non-Christians, even the people who disagree with us? Yes. We should love them and care for them and walk with them through life. 26% understands me. We seek to understand because we're interested and people who are interested are people who are interested in loving them. That's why we're interested because we care. Has experienced struggles, 25%. Um, are we honest about the struggles that we have in life? You don't need to be a perfect Christian to speak to someone and and give them hope and maybe consider, have them consider becoming a Christian. In fact, like... You sharing your own struggles will draw them closer and not repel them further. So be honest about who you are. 22% aware of the inconsistencies in their own perspective. Hey, you don't have it all figured out. You know that you're learning about God. And so that means you are never going to be done learning. There is always something else to learn. 20% demonstrate interest in other people's story or life. In other words, don't be a jerk. <laughs> but be, be a person who's led by the Holy Spirit. Be a person who actually practices their faith. Be a person who has the fruit of the Spirit living in us and and producing fruit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is God, third person of the Trinity, and dwells you for God's glory, your good and people's good. Um, as we pray, I'm going to pray that that the Holy Spirit would would enter in our uh, our awareness and and r- help us develop a new imagination for what's possible in our lives because if we don't attend to the presence of the holy spirit in our lives we won't have an imagination to imagine what god could be up to in our lives so we might not be staying saying aware of what he wants us to do and i'll leave you with this and then i'll pray second corinthians chapter 13 verse 13 the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you all let me pray King Jesus, thank you for sending the Helper, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Spirit of Truth into our hearts to cry, Abba, Father, as you have made a way for us to be adopted into your family as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you for changing us and making us be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, please do a work in each one of our lives this week. Please help us to live with a special awareness of your presence and your power and your leading. God, do mighty works among us. Please, please move inside of us. Please move through us. Give us boldness of faith. Please, please stoke the fire in our hearts to be raging and passion for you. Holy Spirit, please lead us this week to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world as we proclaim the goodness and glory of God the Father, as we lift up God the Son, and as we yield to you, Holy Spirit. Please hear us as we sing. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.